The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche. I'll Keep Coming. Written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. Red Savior felt deep sympathy for Victoria Victrix. After all, it is a terrible thing to lose someone you love right before your eyes, as she knew all too bitterly well. But she approved of the little mage's method of coping. Work. Because the world did not stop when one was in mourning, and the Thulians did not stop trying to crush everyone on the planet. And the mother country does not stop demanding that we do the impossible with nothing. And the United States government does not stop sniffing at us when they should be focusing only on tending the Thulian menace. Always wanting situation reports on the walking firebombs, Murdoch and his winged woman. What is there to report? They are either sleeping or out fighting the fascists. Not to mention my people do not stop needing me. They are also tired. There is just too much that needs to be done, and I do not have enough to do at all. It will only be so long until something gives. The mission or one of them. Another one of them. Boss, my moji, I have not even had time to mourn you, much less avenge you. The flare of grief and anger brought Natalia back to the present. Her cigarette was burned down almost to the filter, forgotten in her hand. She flicked off the long ash that had collected at the tip, then turned her attention to Victrix. The witch was bent over the three keyboards at her workstation in the CCCPHQ, typing at a feverish pace, her eyes flitting from screen to screen. Normally she would be in her new, secure space in Echo HQ, but Echo was making alterations related to both her comfort and her security, and she said the noise was driving her insane. Beside her sat a gray cat the size of a lynx, and a little earthen creature Nat had taken for a crude statue until it had moved. You are sure this is to be working? Nat mashed another cigarette butt into the bottom of a coffee cup, chewing her lip as she did so. I've already done it for Echo. Once I tie 8-Ball into the CCCP version of Overwatch 2, no matter what happens to me, Overwatch 2 will work for the CCCP with either 8 or me at the helm. Forever, I think. And 8-Ball is now made of the same magical memory matrix in M-Space that I built for Tesla and Marconi, so there's no way that physical destruction of my place or this place is going to touch him. How can she do those equations and type at the same time? Nat had finally reconciled herself to Vicky's magic, in no small part because the witch had proven it was logical and depended on complex equations. It wasn't fuzzy, it had rules, and rules were a thing she could understand. But watching her flying fingers and listening to her talk at the same time was disconcerting. As if she had read Nat's mind, the witch turned her gaze momentarily to the commissar. The dark circles, like old bruises, under them made her look disturbingly as if someone had blackened both eyes. I just need to type the equations I already worked out into the interface. I've done it three times already. She tapped her forehead with her thumb. They're in here, and I can do this in my sleep. You should be getting some of that, Nat said, reluctantly. 
because although she did approve of Victrix's method of handling grief, she did not want the witch to pass out over the keyboard. She was of no use to the CCCP if she was a casualty, self-induced or otherwise. That's what I keep saying, Bella called in on Overwatch 2. Downstairs, in the secure room that held the desk, Alex Tesla's former interface with the medicines and, most particularly, the electronic spirits of Tesla and Marconi, the holographic images of the two in question were watching an equally holographic terminal respond to their thoughts. This is a clumsy interface, Tesla complained. I am begging your pardon, Pavel called from the corner of the room, uncrossing his arms. Just polished Jesse this morning in this finest that Soviet science produced. Yet the time, not clumsy, he finished, puffing his metallic chest out as much as he could. If two electronic ghosts, accustomed to decades of existing solely as data and having shed many of their human mannerisms, could seem momentarily dumbfounded. The uh, computer interface, Signore, Marconi replied slowly. The one we are attempting to use. Oh, computer, Pavel said dismissively, waving his hand. Never mind, not Soviet. He watched for a few moments more before speaking again. What are two ghosts doing on computer anyway? Kit videos? Combot recipes? Did your commissar not inform you about our task? Yet. Commissar told Bear to report to small musty room and watch, so here is Pink Bear. He peered at the holographic display, then leaned in closer with his robotic hand outstretched. Is very interesting. Please! Marconi wasn't quite strident in his tone, but he wasn't far from it. Do not interfere with the equipment. The results would be... Less than optimal for what we wish to accomplish. Pavel grunted and pulled back his hand. Tesla returned his attention to the ghostly computer. I will be pleased when Miss Naj gives us a better way to interact with the material world than this, he grumbled. Hush, Nicola, Marconi chided. We are truly immortal and invulnerable now, thanks to her. Nothing in the material world can harm us, and we owe her much. The least we can do is verify her information. Yes, and until she gives us a better interface, if this... Tesla waved his hand at the desk, the interocitor, and the ghostly computer that tied M-space to real space via both. Is destroyed. We will be immortal... Invulnerable creatures with nothing but a giant empty computer to inhabit. But you are correct. We owe her much. Sounds like could be a good place to catch up on beauty rest. The ghost men need beauty rest. Ah, he's question for eggheads like witch woman. Pavel shook his head, sighing. What was task again? Can I assist? And being very good with engineering and applications for plasma chambers, he chuffed. No, no, Marconi said hastily. We're just seeing if we can intercept some signals from here. Radio is my specialty, after all. Sleep is for the weak, Vicky muttered, her eyes back on the monitors. There. Done. 
a voice emerged from the speakers. Privyet, Natalia Shostakovaya. Kakdalo. Blin, it talks back? Despite Overwatch and Overwatch 2, despite being host to the eggheads and their apparatus, despite having the benefit of as much echo tech as Bella could funnel to CCCP, Natalia was used to her technology being out of date, defective, or cantankerous, much like Pavel. I am relying too much on that old bear, fool that he can be. Will he be the next one to die fighting for me? Die again, that is. Of course I do. The entity replied in not just Russian, but Russian with that subtle Muscovy accent that sounded like home to Nat. You can't always have your hands on a keyboard and your eyes on a scroll or monitor. I am very pleased to be interfaced with your system. I have already met Gamayun, and we are quite compatible. The commissar paused for a moment, then fetched another cigarette from her nearly empty pack and lit it. Da, da, good. She thrust her chin out at Vicky, quickly taking a drag from the cigarette and blowing it out. What is being next step now that ghost machine is working? Vicky shrugged. Nothing until... Something caught her eye, and she whirled to face the monitors again, and the new and odd voice called out, in strangely calm tones, and in Russian. Red alert, red alert. Incoming Thulian dropship. Vector appears to be CCCPHQ. Red alert, red alert. And all the alarms, which formerly had been only triggered by Gamayun or Savior herself, went off. Eight's already alerted at Echo, Vicky shouted over the cacophony. But the Colts are telling me they've already got everybody deployed or too far away to help. Murdochs are currently deployed at the hotspot. Air support is already on mission but won't be able to retask for ten minutes, Gamma Yun added, recalling all comrades currently on patrol to HQ. Natalia slapped an intercom for the base. Battle stations, get to the armories, retrieve munitions, and then take position. Chug, Bear, Rusalka, and Supernaut units Odin, Dva, and Tri, on the street and form on me. She unholstered her pistol, checked to make sure that a round was chambered, and then reholstered the sidearm before turning to Vicky. Iti on fascista? It was Eight Ball that answered. Three minutes, twenty-nine seconds. Proletariat has replicated, and the first three supernaut units are manned. Boss, my. Computer ghost is even faster than which, Natalia thought in amazement, as Vicky's hands flew over keyboards and she muttered into her microphone. No time to waste. I need to be with my men on the street, now. Natalia ran for the door, sprinting through the narrow hallways of the base. Occasionally, she would pass some of her comrades, readying themselves for the coming fight. Little Thea retrieving an RPG launcher from a weapons locker, the ever-grim-looking Strebog loading an AK-74 and handing it to Vila, who looked decidedly uneasy. Alconost and Siren ran past her in the opposite direction, on their way to guard the rear of the structure. They were paired up as an RPG team, the first carrying the launcher and the other carrying spare munitions. Everyone moved quickly, and it wasn't long before Natalia was through the front entrance and practically flying down the steps into the street. Chug was already there, standing in the center of the road with his fists balled and dark cavities of eyes looking about warily. There came out moments after Natalia, clanking to take his place beside her, 
He had his PPSH in his left hand, and his right gauntlet was already charged with plasma. There was a mechanical rumble as the garage door for the CCCP's motor pool opened. The sound of heavy footsteps on asphalt followed, not unlike those of the Krieger troopers when they marched to war. Instead of Nazis, three suits of supernaut armor appeared, one at a time, each one manned by one of Kiro Zukov's, or proletariat, as the Americans called him, duplicates. Kiro was one of the comrades that had been left in Russia when the CCCP had been exiled, after the first invasion. Before being recruited by the bureaucrats in Moscow, he had kept a quiet life as a magician and circus performer. His power kept him fed until he was discovered by a police officer, trying to fend off a group of Gopnik ruffians from a mother they had been trying to rob. There had been six of them, and seven of Kirill. Though trained after being inducted into the CCCP, he had never been a major asset. His duplicates were exact copies of him, weren't imbued with any greater strength or resilience, and he could only duplicate himself nineteen times at most. The duplicates did not last, especially when there were many of them, and he was not a skilled fighter. Passable at best, Untermensch had called him uninspired. Still, Natalia had always had hope for the man, and when he put in a transfer request to come to America, she had fought hard to make sure it happened. After being stuck doing paperwork and cleaning floors in state official buildings, I cannot blame him for wanting to come here, despite the danger. But when Boryets betrayed them all, every supernaut pilot he had recruited had come under suspicion. That left Russia with a surplus, a rather large surplus, of supernaut suits. Untermensch had applied to get some, not expecting that they would, but to everyone's surprise, a cargo plane had arrived full of crates to Hartsfield, the crates marked to go to CCCP. Supernaut suits. And, after some additional training and a few mishaps, one involving a park bench and a rather unfortunate rat, Kirill had proven to be an excellent pilot. Then again, given good design, a monkey could pilot suit— and most of Boryat's recruits were not recruited for brains, Natalia thought, as the three suits fell in line with the rest, one behind her and the other two flanking the ends of the line. Vasily Djurcevich, you may have been a power-hungry bastard, but you were also a genius. If for nothing else, I'm grateful for these suits of yours. Trailing behind the suits was the matronly Rusalka, holding an AK of her own. She had been walking on eggshells after her betrayal had been revealed at the fall of Metis, and the commissar had kept a wary eye on her. If things had been different, Natalia would have excoriated the woman, driven her from the CCCP, and made sure that she was brought up on charges. As things were, she needed every warm body she could get. She hoped that she would not regret her decision to be lenient. All comrades in position, commissar. ETA on bogey, twenty-seven seconds. Mark. Что? Only one death sphere? Another suicide cell trying to catch us off guard? Why attack us? Right now? Natalia wiped the questions from her mind. She saw the metallic gleam of the death sphere in the distance. Her HUD highlighted and tracked the craft a moment later, vector lines plotting out its path of travel. Supernaut units, Rusalka, engage any troopers that land. We shall cover you and provide support. Roof teams, Spear is your primary target, with ground troops as secondary targets. Take out their escape, 
then helped Kirill and Rusalka. Many of her comrades sounded off in the affirmative on the calm channel. The death sphere loomed larger, flying towards the base at incredible speeds, and there was no more time for talk. Object detaching from death sphere, she heard Eight Ball say in her ear, as the death sphere zoomed overhead, rattling windows and setting off car alarms for blocks around. Instead of staying in the area to attack, it sped off into the sky. A quick survey of her HUD's radar showed that it was flying in a holding pattern. Something was wrong. Only a single suit of trooper armor had been on it. Why wouldn't they bring a full complement of soldiers? Her question was answered a second later, when the suit slammed into the ground at the end of the street. It wasn't trooper armor. It was much, much bigger, easily standing twice as tall as Ubermensch or the command armor. It was still definitely armor of some sort, but this wasn't a mass-produced Art Deco piece of military equipment like the Krieger suits were. This was ornamented and unique, with segmented bronze bands that moved over each other like liquid. It gave the unsettling appearance that the armor itself was a living thing, someone's nightmare of a metal crustacean come to life. The decorative crests and ridges were organic and horribly alien-looking, blended as part of each piece of the armor. The hands ended in long, serrated-looking claws. Again, they appeared as if they had grown out of the tips of the fingers, a natural extension. The most frightening feature of the armor was the helmet. A central ridge on the crest, still in that organic metal style, melded with the rest of the helmet, ending in a T-shaped slit that glowed a baleful dark orange, the same color that all Thulean tech displayed. No way to tell what was in there. The armor's knees hadn't even buckled when it had hit the road. It raised its head, and Natalia could feel its gaze and unbridled malevolence focused on her. Not even Ubermensch had looked on her with this much malignant hate. For a moment, when the thing had first appeared, Natalia had wondered if this was some new and improved armored suit for Ubermensch. After that look, however, along with the odd fluid way it moved, she rejected that notion. This was something different. Something... worse. Rusalka! Kirill! Dave! 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 Without a word, the three supernaut suits attacked the Thulian. There was a sonic whine of pressurized specialty napalm being released before the Thulian was completely engulfed in a cloud of flame. The three supernaut suits marched forward, crunching asphalt with each step, their arms outstretched and shooting jets of fire. For a moment... Natalia was overcome with a memory of her comrades and the original Supernaut fighting the Thulians in Red Square. Rusalka circled to the right, flanking their enemy. It also positioned her right next to a special fire hydrant that the CCCP had set up after the second invasion, only accessible to authorized personnel via some of the witch's magic, with one positioned on every corner of the city block the HQ was centered in. Rusalka waited for a moment, then activated the fire hydrant, a torrent of water flooded out of it, wetting down the street in front of her. She stared in concentration for a second, and then the water collected itself in the air in front of the hydrant. The ball of water quickly grew until it was twice as large as the CCCP van. Rusalka twitched her right hand, and a jet of water violently erupted from the middle of the liquid sphere. Water is nearly incompressible, but when put under pressure, it moves fast. The blast of water hit the Thulian, 
nearly invisible in the center of the miniature firestorm that Kirill had created, squarely in the side. A plume of superheated steam competed with the fire to obscure the Thulian. Natalia broke into a sweat as hot steam wafted her way. We'll see how tough the Svinya is after that. Heat their metal shells up and then cool them down quickly. They explode like overcooked sausages. Even these fascista bastards are not immune to simple physics. Natalia listened for the satisfying scream of metal shearing away from metal, yet it never came. The Thulian walked through the flames. The Kirils were visibly startled in their suits and took a moment to recover. Rusalka, determination clear on her sweat-soaked face, continued to blast the Thulian with water, increasing the pressure in an attempt to knock it over. The armored suit didn't seem to notice. It reached the three supernaut suits in six unhurried strides. Faster than the commissar's eyes could track, it slashed at the suits with nothing more than the claws on the ends of its gloves. The first strike took the leftmost suit in the shoulder, carving through the armor like clay, until it exited the suit's hip. There was a brief flash of bright red blood and yellow bone before the duplicate flashed out of existence. The other two had no time to react. To Kirill's credit, they kept firing until they were killed. One of the suits exploded, causing Natalia to flinch and cover her eyes. One of the pressurized tanks of napalm must have been breached. Natalia blinked, and her jaw dropped. Rsalka, she was right next to that. Oh, no, no, no. There was no sign of her comrade. The Tholian continued to walk forward, stomping through the flaming wreckage of the supernaut suits. Natalia swallowed hard, her mouth suddenly very dry. Kirill, warm-up suits, chit your head and chest. New development, Commissar, Vicky said crisply. Suit is heat-resistant, and I'm not finding the top end yet. I've got eight running diagnostics. Magic help incoming in ten. Da, da, all comrades, keep it from the base. Fire! Eight. The roof teams, denied any death spheres to shoot, switched targets to the lone suit of armor. RPG warheads detonated on or around it, and hundreds of rounds of rifle bullets pinged and whizzed off of it. Nothing penetrated, and even the Echo and CCCP-engineered napalm mix was sliding off. It should have stuck to the suit, helped superheat it so that the conventional arms would have a chance. Five. Pavel. Together! The older metahuman nodded, planted his feet wide, and thrust out his right arm. Natalia's fist shot forward at the same time. His plasma and her energy blast slashed through the air, hitting the Thulian almost simultaneously. Natalia gritted her teeth, pouring more and more energy into the blast. The armored suit, inexorable, continued to walk through the hail of explosives, bullets, plasma, and her energy. Three, two, one. Savior had braced herself, but the ground wave, not unlike a wave on the ocean, started at her feet and rolled towards this new menace as fast as a car could accelerate. It hit the thing's feet and rocked it back for a moment, but it flailed its arms and kept its balance. More victrix! Hit it again! Another wave started at Savior's feet, larger this time, but a little slower. It was almost a meter tall and threw off bits of asphalt and rocks as it rolled forward. 
for a moment, she worried that the foundation of the HQ would crack. This time, the Thulian was prepared for the attack. It actually jumped over the wave. Natalia swore that she could feel the weight of its landing through the street. It canted its head to the side momentarily, and then continued forward. Natalia felt desperation clawing its way through her, a sheen of sweat covering her entire body. If that thing gets to the base, nothing will be able to stop it, short of leveling the entire block. Maybe not even that. Before Natalia could say anything else, the Thulian stopped in the street. The comrades on the roof continued to rain down rockets and bullets. They had kept their discipline and were firing accurate, measured bursts. The Thulian turned its helmet to look at them. Just then, Thea fired an RPG. The commissar could tell it was a beautiful shot, even from her position on the street. In the blink of an eye, a rippling wave issued from the T-shaped visor of the helmet, hitting the warhead in mid-air and causing it to explode. Thea barely had enough time to duck before the wave hit the side of the HQ. Natalia watched in growing horror as the brick started to melt and explode. Nazareth! Some kind of heat beam? She steadied herself, then continued to fire energy at the Thulian. Roof team, take cover. Do not get caught by that thing's weapon. She stopped firing for a moment, then turned to chug. Her squat comrade had been standing beside her silently for the entire fight. Chug. Da, commissar? He turned his head so that he could see her, his black eyes searching. Go kill that fascista comrade. He is going to hurt Thea. He has hurt your friend, Kirill. Hurt Thea? Hurt Kirill? He rumbled, looking from Savior to the Thulian. Da, now go hurt him back. Chug roared, charging towards the Thulian. For such a bulky creature, Chug could move with frightening speed when he wanted to. Natalia was infinitely grateful, not for the first time, that Chug considered the CCCP to be his friends and family. The Thulian didn't appear to take notice of Chug until the last moment. The sound of Chug crashing into the Thulian rattled the teeth in Natalia's skull. She had witnessed a train collision once during a CCCP mission, back in the Motherland. It was the closest thing she could think of to compare to hearing Chug hitting the Thulian at full force. And the Thulian stopped. It had caught Chug's charge at the last moment. It hunched over, with a single leg thrust behind it, bracing against the force of Chug's rush. Chug and Bethulian grappled each other like a pair of wrestlers, clutching each other by the shoulder and forearm. Natalia held her breath, hoping. Could Chug actually do it? There was the scrape of metal against asphalt as the Thulian was inched backwards, ever so slightly. Natalia was about to whoop in triumph, but it caught in her throat. The Thulian tensed, and then flexed suddenly. A crack of thunder split the air, and Natalia barely had enough time to drop to the ground as Chug flew over her head, hitting the corner of the building half a block behind her and crushing it. The rockman did not stir from the pile of rubble. Natalia looked back at the Thulian, just as it rose back to its full height. Something hung from its left forearm. With sick realization, she saw that it was Chug's right arm, still firmly gripping the Thulian's armor. 
The small, analytical part of her that was still working past the fear noticed that the armor was partially crumpled underneath Chug's fingers. It can be hurt. It can be hurt. It can be hurt. The commissar picked herself up off of the ground, doing the best to make her voice steady as she spoke. Edviga, Chug is down. In need of medical attention immediately. There was a pause followed by, Shto? Jadwiga partially recovered a moment later. On the way with the crash cart, Commissar. There was a tremulous note in her friend's voice that Natalia had never heard before and never wanted to hear again. Eight replacing Comrade Witch, Commissar, she heard, but barely registered. Vicky ran full out all the way to the egghead room. She used a spell to slam the door open ahead of her and another to slam it shut behind her. What in the hell are you two doing? She screamed as her sneakers squeaked in protest over her abrupt halt. And don't bother to deny it. I have a keystroke logger on you two and eight says the appearance of that monster absolutely coincides with you two screwing around. The ectoplasmic entities flashed a guilty look at each other that pretty much confirmed they had been the reason this new Thulian had shown up. We were, we were trying to find a way to confirm that the information from your new source is correct, signorina, Marconi stammered, as Tesla nodded so fast he looked like a bobblehead. Shut the damn thing off! Now! she bellowed. Marconi's semi-transparent fingers flew on the interface as Vicky stood by, frowning fiercely, arms crossed over her chest. Now, she said, in a voice so cold the two miscreants probably felt chilled to their ethereal bones. Tell me what you did. There may be a way out of this catastrophe. Natalia felt the same despair that she had felt in Metis. Her comrades were dying, were going to die, and she was powerless again. No. She slammed the hopelessness down as quickly as it had risen. So long as we draw breath, all of us, we will fight. Pavel, she said, keeping her eyes fixed on the advancing Thulian. Her jaw tightened as a burst of anger fixed her resolve. Da, commissar. You and I will engage the threat. Try not to die, old bear. I may have some further use for you. Stay back, Harriet with your plasma, and don't shoot me, fool. Focus on its helmet. See if you can blind it or distract it. I will move in. Closer. Pavel opened his mouth as if to question her orders, but a single hard look silenced him. Da, it's not kind of ravioli, but we'll try to open it regardless. Roof team, we are moving in. Hold fire until we are within fifty meters. Use the best judgment for when to resume fire. We'll be busy. Absently, she noted the eerily calm voice of Eight repeating her command in English. Commissar, Eight said in Russian, hold in place for thirty seconds. We have not attempted the use of electricity on the threat. Что? Savior said then shrieked in wordless shock as a transformer over her head suddenly overloaded and a massive arc of electricity shot across the street to connect with Thulian. It jittered in place for a second or two, just long enough for Savior to feel another moment of hope. But then the heat beam turned towards the transformer and melted it out of existence. Nazrat, H said philosophically. 
Natalia wasn't sure whether or not she liked the entity adopting a personality. Cold equipment could be hit with a wrench when it was disobedient, but living subordinates generally were opposed to such corrective action. Our turn, old bear. Davey! Nat started forward at a jog, bear clanking behind her. The roof team stopped firing when the pair were approximately fifty meters away from the Thulian, right on cue. Bear split off to the left, hanging back. Natalia could hear the thrum of plasma flooding his gauntlets, waiting to be discharged. She gathered energy into her own fists until they glowed with barely contained power. When she was within three meters of the Thulian, she released a burst of energy from beneath her feet, kicking off of the ground and launching herself at her enemy. The suit of armor stopped in place, raising the helmet to watch as she arced toward it. Her first punch was staggeringly powerful, a full blast of energy and all of the strength she had in her arm. It managed to turn the Thulian's helmet to the side. Better than it not moving at all, she thought. She didn't stay in front of the suit. Bear was already firing blasts of plasma at the helmet's visor, as fast as his plasma chamber heart could charge his gauntlets. Natalia called on all of her Sistema training. Augmented with her metahuman strength and weird energy, she danced around the Thulian, targeting joints with energy-laced punches, kicks, and chops, while using plumes of energy to launch herself from stance to stance. The Thulian, curiosity seemingly satisfied, reacted. It lashed out with those horrible claws, trying to catch Natalia. She already knew that even a glancing blow would be fatal, so she stepped back her attacks and focused on avoiding any damage. It was hard work. Despite the Thulian's immense size, it was fast. Natalia miscalculated once, and that was all it took. She landed heavily in front of the Thulian, just out of reach but unable to move immediately. The suit of armor stomped on the asphalt. The shockwave in miniature took Natalia from her feet and planted her hard on the street. She had barely managed to keep her head from cracking open against the ground, and her chest felt tight as her breath left her. The sun was blotted out as the Thulian loomed over her, raising a single clawed hand. She heard Pavel yelling at her, but she couldn't understand what he was saying. Blood thundered in her ears, and all she could focus on was the orange glow of the visor, staring at her. She forced air into her lungs, willing herself to breathe. I have died before, bastard. You had better hope that I do not return again. She propped herself up from the ground long enough to spit directly on the visor. The claws slashed down, and the Thulian tilted over sideways, flailing for balance when a geyser of water crashed into its flank. Natalia sputtered for a moment, instantly drenched. Hands looped under her arms, and then she was dragged back and away from the Thulian. She recognized the hands as Pavel's mechanical prosthetics. The old man cursed under his breath with each clanking footstep. Natalia looked back to where the Thulian stood. It turned from her to face a small figure behind it. Rusalka! Her left arm was gone. All that remained was a burnt, bleeding stump. Half of her hair and her face, were burnt away, and she was clearly in unbelievable pain. And yet, she stood defiantly, her remaining good arm in front of her, the hand balled into a fist. Rusalka screamed. Three of the hydrants nearest to her exploded, and columns of water shot into the air. 
the water gathered, a floating tidal wave, before she brought it crashing down on the Thulian, and herself. The water receded. The armored suit had been driven to a knee, and Rusalka, a crumpled form on the ground, unmoving. Commissar, Bear said as he pulled her to her feet. We need a plan. Natalia turned her eyes from Rusalka's body, weariness spreading over her like a wave. Plan is to fight. Only plan we have ever had or needed. For all of the good it is doing us, she added silently. The Thulian resumed its march towards the HQ. It was finally done with the distractions, perhaps, and meant to get down to the real business of killing them all. Commissar, it would be advisable to reposition to the sidewalk immediately, said Gamayun. The roar of a motorcycle engine echoed off of the buildings as a Ural screeched around the street corner behind the commissar. Untermensch sat behind the handlebars while Mamona rode in the sidecar, a KS-23 shotgun against her shoulder, and pointed at the Thulian. Natalia and Bear scrambled out of the way as the motorcycle barreled past them. Mamona fired the heavy shotgun as quickly as she could rack the slide. Untermensch gunned the throttle. A moment later, he seized Mamona around the waist and pulled them both off the bike, curling up around her to protect her as they tumbled free. She was up again in a moment and fired two more bursts just as the Ural rammed the Thulian. There was a moment as the Thulian staggered, then the gas tank went up, engulfing the thing in flames and shrapnel. Untermentioned Mamona quickly fell back to where Natalia and Pavel were waiting. Natalia fought against the urge to break into a wide smile and only barely won. So, another you're lost. They do not grow on trees, Georgie. Untermensch shrugged, cracking his neck. The scrapes and wounds he sustained from dismounting the motorcycle at speed had already begun to heal. I laid the blame at being put on patrol with Murdoch and other Amerikanski so many times, Commissar. Cowboys, one and all. Hey, this is the only time blowing up a Ural has been my idea. Mamona piped up. Brilliant, Vicky spat, fingers flying on the ghostly keyboard. Here we've managed to keep the fact that you two survived a secret, and you proceeded to light up a big neon sign with your names on it. I'd murder you if you weren't already dead. Eight, follow my lead and replicate at any idle transmitter, on my mark. Ready when you are, Vicky, Eightball replied. The two ghostly forms of Tesla and Marconi stood aside, but they were not as quiet as they seemed. I have a control of the flying eye, Nicola, Marconi whispered. It is the one on the south side of the CCCP roof. Good. I see a good place to lodge it. There are cavities behind the two protrusions at the rear of the helmet. You can jam it in there, and I don't think it will notice. The commissar entertained an idea that she had never dared consider in all of her life. We need to retreat, or we will all die here. She had recalled all comrades to help with the fight. Metahuman powers, RPGs, and bullets were levied against the Thulian, yet it still came forward, leisurely, as if the creature inside it was savoring these moments, untouchable against everything that the CCCP could bring to bear. It was almost to the front door of the HQ, 
Savior had no doubt that it could have just ripped through the nearest corner of the building and torn its way through the interior. Even with all of their hardened defenses, the armored suit was more than capable of cutting its way into her office and propping its feet up on her desk if it had wanted to. But no, it wanted them to watch as it virtually ignored them, walked up to their front door and casually violated their home. They had drawn up evacuation plans, of course, and practiced them until every comrade knew the procedures by heart. Even so, Natalia had never dreamed that they would need to use them. Hubris, stupid girl, Boriet's voice echoed in her mind. You are weak and selfish, and your pride will kill all of the people that you love and call family. You will be alone, and it will be your fault. It took a great deal of effort to silence her traitorous uncle's poisonous words. She needed to focus. Her powers, those of her comrades, all of their weapons were ineffective. She wouldn't throw away more of her comrades' lives trying to find this bastard's weakness. It wanted something in the HQ. That much was clear. Fine. We have contingencies. Evacuate all personnel, then detonate exit plan charges. All the servers will wipe, and the intelligence material will be destroyed, and it'll drop the building down the Svinia. She needed to give the order, and soon, if they were going to have time to enact it. She still had comrades on the roof and in the building proper. Yadviga was tending Chug in the medical pay. She had recalled all of Kirill's duplicates to carry the Rockman, since destroying more supernaut suits wouldn't do anything to help. And there was Vicky, somewhere in the base. She had gone off of Overwatch for something. All comrades, Natalia said, swallowing hard. Prepare to... The commissar's teeth rattled in her head, and she felt her skin crawl. It was an all-too-familiar sensation. The Thulean death sphere had returned. It crested over the roof of the building opposite of the HQ, gliding death in a silvery shell. The sphere's tentacles had deployed and thrashed relentlessly. The bastard is done playing with us. It has called its dogs to kill us, so it can do whatever it came here to do, she thought bitterly. They still had their RPGs and powers, though probably too few rounds for the former. All the same, they could at least hurt the fascista. There wouldn't be any time for retreat, not before the Death Sphere could level the roof and pulverize the street with its energy cannons. A wash of flame streaked across the sky, and for a moment Red Savior thought that someone had fired a missile at the Death Sphere, or a meteor had entered the atmosphere. The trajectory was too perfect for the latter— the object hit the sphere with a deafening crack of splitting metal. The death sphere listed to the side, and all of the tentacles dangled lifelessly from their apertures. As the sphere spun towards her, Natalia could make out the thing that had slammed into the sphere. It was a spear made of blinding white and gold fire. Before the sphere could recover or reorient itself, twin bolts of plasma burned through the clouds and finished the job that the spear had begun. The spear's engines sputtered as the craft was nearly cleft in half by the explosion, sending it careening and tumbling in an uncontrolled descent down into one of the nearest destruction corridors. The Thulian had stopped. It turned to look at the falling death sphere as Natalia gaped. A moment later, the entire block was shaken by a tremendous explosion, followed by a cloud of fire and smoke rising from the destruction corridor. She spotted a fireball descending through the clouds where the spear and plasma had come from. 
She was rocked by a sonic boom and had to shield her eyes against the light. For a moment, Savior thought it was the Zarpikta, the legendary firebird that had come to their rescue. After what had just happened, she felt as credulous as a child and inclined to indulge in such superstitious thinking. Enormous flame-sheathed wings thundered, blowing hot wind and dust toward her as a figure between them, too bright to be made out as anything more than a shape, came to rest between the Thulian and the CCCP HQ. The second half of the fireball was nowhere near as graceful, but still breathtaking. A human-shaped flame shot towards the ground, then stopped abruptly with a sound not unlike a rocket erupting before coming to a rest. Natalia saw the asphalt underneath the figure blister and bubble from the heat, vitrifying before her eyes. As one, both shapes emerged from the flames. Huz my. The Seraphim, Sarah now, and John Murdoch stood together against the Thulian. Since Murdoch's reawakening and Sarah's transformation, Natalia had not personally seen them in action at their full strength. Certainly, she had seen the aftermath of their powers at Ultima Thule, and Pavel was a constant reminder of the inhuman nature of the forces they were capable of wielding. But to witness it firsthand... Her entire life, the strongest metahuman she had ever known had been Worker's Champion, Uncle Boryets, with her father and Moji not far behind. They had all been paraded as the very best that the Soviet Union had, pillars of revolutionary spirit and Russian might. For all of their power, they did not rank higher than a top-tier Op 3, even Worker's Champion. In her time at the FSB, Natalia had heard rumblings and rumors that Russia had metahumans that rivaled the worst that America could offer, op fours of such titanic power that it was almost unfathomable. The rumors went, however, that instead of risking such beings potentially going rogue or deciding, like the legendary Amphitrite, that they were gods, that the government had found a simpler solution. Kill them. Nuclear weapons tests, it was said, made for fine cover when destroying better human bodies. Seeing Sarah and John before her now was the first time she had personally been confronted by such raw, unfettered power. If Natalia had been religious, it would have inspired that sort of terror in her, a rising mania. No. No. They are our comrades. For all of Murdoch's faults and the fiery woman's religious delusions, they have remained sturdy comrades. They stand with us. You shall not pass. The voice, calm, beautiful, made the words a simple statement rather than a declaration. The woman spread her wings, making it clear that the Thulian was going to have to go through them to get to its goal. For the first time, the Thulian made a sound. But it appeared that it was not in response to Murdoch and his woman. It suddenly tilted its head skyward and growled, as if in reaction to something else only it could sense. And then... It stiffened up, until it looked like a pillar of sculptured metal. Its feet began to glow with the orange of the Thulian propulsion drives, and then it launched itself skyward in a missile-like arc to the east and a little south, vanishing into the clouds. About ten seconds after it took off, a quartet of fighter jets streaked after it, firing missiles. The Air Force is finally arrived. Good on them for trying, at least. After several moments of stunned silence from everyone present, 
John's fires disappeared with a muffled pop. He turned to look at the commissar. Did anyone know that those damned things could do that? Savior paced restlessly outside the medbay. Inside of it were Sophie, Bella, and Gilead, and Vicky, all of them working slowly and methodically on Chug. As soon as the strangely armored Thulian had vanished, Mamona had made a sprint for where it had been and picked up Chug's arm. Nat would have remonstrated with her on that, for surely there was no possibility of reattaching such a thing, but she had already sped into the building by the time Savior opened her mouth. So the commissar had turned her attention where it was most needed. She supervised and assisted in retrieving Rusalka's body. They would have to arrange for transport back to Russia, naturally. Natalia already knew that she would insist that Rusalka be buried with all of the other fallen metahumans from the Great Patriotic War. Given her final sacrifice, it was only right. After that, she had seen that the comrades began repairs on the building and the street outside immediately. An assessment for how they could mitigate such an attack in the future would have to wait until later, but right then, they still needed to use their HQ. Now with all the fires, literal and metaphoric, out, she had gone to the medbay only to discover there was no room in there for her. So she paced, as she heard Sovi murmuring without being able to make out the words, Bella and Gilead answering equally softly, and then, I think the asbestos is what we needed. Vicky's high voice carried over the sound of machines muttering and beeping. Look at that. He can move his fingers already. Что? Room or not, Savior opened the door and squeezed herself inside. Chug rested on three of the gurneys pushed together. Vicky was troweling something that looked like grout over the place where Chug's arm now once again joined his shoulder. Gilead and Bella, faces set in masks of concentration, were obviously exercising their healing powers while Soviet supervised. But most surprising of all, the lumpy little stone creature was standing on Chug's chest, chirping what appeared to be directions. Vicky used the tip of the trowel to inscribe things in the wet grout, then waved her hand over it. Steam rose from the material, and the little stone thing nodded with satisfaction. Okay, she said, brow furrowed and eyes closing. Hands off bells, Gil. Give me a few to get the magic going. Then you can fit the healing in. Yadviga had been closely inspecting the work that Victrix had been doing. Her head bobbed up and she noticed Natalia. Somehow, she effortlessly wove her way through the crowd to stand in front of Natalia. Commissar, you must leave. We have enough bodies in the way already, and gawking tourists will not help heal our comrade. Natalia was about to protest when her friend held up her index finger. He is in good hands, Sestra. Trust us. Natalia was put out, but she saw her friend's wisdom. What of Murdoch and Sarah? Couldn't they heal Shug without all of the worrying? It was Victrix that answered calling over her shoulder. Their energy would just confuse things in here, and I need all of my concentration to do this right. Besides, healing takes more out of them than it takes out of me. I'm just doing earth magic, which seems to work on Chug, and I can use my... call them storage batteries. If there's another attack, we don't need the Murdochs passed out on the floor. Also, she added, talking to you is taking up effort I could be spending on healing Chug. I'll be in the briefing room soon enough to fill in some details, so please leave. 
Normally, Natalia would have bristled at such insolence and been quick to rebuke her subordinates for it. Right now, all she could feel was gratitude that Chug was going to be all right. She nodded curtly to Yadviga. Keep me informed. I want to be updated at any change in his condition. She could see the relief in Yadviga's eyes. Da, Commissar. We will keep you appraised. Bella looked up. Hey, Nat, can you send Mamona out for about 20 gallons of ice cream? When we wake him up, I want to give him something to soothe his tears. You don't think we are already prepared for this, Sestra? Already have freezer stocked. She turned to go, then stopped. Will pet hamster help? Very much so. I didn't know he had a pet. We'll have it brought at once. I'll be in the briefing room. And be gentle with him. He will likely be very frightened when he awakes. Natalia quickly strode out of the med bay, allowing herself to cry only once she was out of earshot. By the time she reached the briefing room, she had dried her eyes and composed herself. She was the commissar, and she had to be the pillar that her comrades leaned on. John and Sarah stood together in one corner. John had his arms crossed in front of his chest. Sarah turned her bright blue eyes on her commissar with a sympathetic nod and an expression of empathy and understanding. Natalia knew of the couple's abilities when it came to reading emotions and suppressed an involuntary shiver. Even with good intentions, such powers set her on edge. Untermensch was hunched over the table, a map spread before him. Commissar, he said as he stood up from the table, nodding to her. We are having report on encounter and are awaiting your input. Savior frowned. This was nothing like we have seen before, she said slowly. Sarah held up a hand. May one speak, Commissar? she asked politely. Duh, I am seeing no reason why not. Savior was curious. The winged woman seldom said more than a few words in debriefings, preferring to let Murdoch speak for both of them. We were able to feel the mind of the creature in the armor today, she said, nodding to John. That was no Thulian mind in that thing, nor human, either, nor hybrid. Sarah's brows furrowed. It was closer to whatever was piloting those dragons at Ultima Thule, except this one was, if not precisely sane, certainly saner. She paused, searching for words. Not a profane creation, like the dragons, but more deliberate. Whatever it was being, Untermensch interjected, we were not able to trick it. A wing of F-35s engaged fleeing armor, but were unable to keep pace with it. Missiles and guns were having no effect. He gestured to the map on the table. Damage to base was, decidedly, minimal. Losses totaled three supernaut suits, exterior damage to HQ, three hydrants, some damage to street's end. His eyes flicked up to meet Natalia's. One comrade, KIA, Rusalka. Da. Sit with the third body is sent home for proper burial, with full honors. She was a true Tovarich, right to the end. It was at this point that Vicky came in. She was wearing an oddly grim smile. I have good news, and good news, and good news. Which would you like first? 
Natalia stared at the witch. Please, wanting cigarette, then all the news. She patted her pockets for a pack and a lighter, then looked up to see Georgie holding up a cigarette for her. John, obligingly, lit it for her with a flame from his thumb. The So, news. I'll start with Chug. The reattachment of his arm went great. I'll short-form this. Sometimes I can pull off a kind of magic that tells things be the way you were X amount of time ago. Thanks to Herb and a pile of batteries, I made everything that passes for nerves and circulatory system and ligaments and other attachments do that, backdating it to this morning. I generally can't do that with human beings. I think this worked, and so does Herb, because he's more Earth than he is anything else, but... She threw up her hands. Hell if I know for sure. None of us really know how Chug works. He's a mystery even to Yadviga, and she's treated him the longest. Anyway, what he's left with is the equivalent of muscle tears and deep, deep bruising. He's about halfway into his first ten gallons of ice cream, his hamster is snuggling on one shoulder, and Herb is doing the same on the other. That's the good news there. And that means that there's more, right? John uncrossed his arms, looking to each person in the room in turn. Because I'm damned glad that Chug is doing better. But we've still lost someone, and turning this into a win looks mighty difficult. That's good news number two. I've been holding off on this until... There she is. Vicky pointed at the door as Bella entered, looking a little ashen. She gave a short, shrill whistle, making Bella look up, pulled a bottle out of a pocket, and threw it to the echo leader. All right, folks, you might have noticed I've been looking a bit less than I was a hair short of throwing myself off a building over the past couple of days. There's a reason for that. She took a deep breath. We've got a mole inside the Thulian Earth HQ feeding us info. Natalia's jaw dropped, and she took a breath to scream at Victrix and Bella. Save your woe! Vicky shouted, somehow managing to amplify her voice enough to startle the commissar. That was command voice. Where? Bella didn't know. I've been keeping this to myself because, quite frankly, I did not believe it. It was too good to be true. But that's my third good news. While Sarah and Fireball XL5 there were facing the dread beast out there, Eight flew one of my eyes at the thing and lodged the thing where the beast wasn't going to notice it. We tracked it right to the mole says the HQ is, verifying that whoever it is, he's telling us that much of the truth. Natalia fumed. Fine, but these leaving questions. Why did Svinja come here? Why did you not share information with us? You are thinking that you are the only one with resources, which, but you are not. This, this is being intolerable. Natalia, for lack of anything more to say, furiously puffed on her cigarette. She hated being left out of the loop. It reminded her too much of being home and not in a pleasant way. Vicky merely raised an eyebrow. If you've got resources that can find an invisible ship in the middle of the ocean, I'd love to hear about them. That's what I mean about all this being too damn good to be true. Until five minutes ago, I didn't believe in any of this. So what good would it have done to blab out a fairy tale? As for how the damn thing found us, and why it came here, it was an accident on the part of the eggheads. They were messing around with radio links and pinged out a medicine something or other. I can follow their science to a point, but the farther away it gets from conventional math and physics, the more baffled I get. 
Whatever they did, they alerted the Thulians that they were still alive and that they were here. I suspected something of the sort, which is why I let Eight take over and headed for the basement like a scalded cat. Can electric ghosts be made of your pain? I need to know for reasons. Natalia took another drag from her cigarette and wondered if anyone would question her. Marconi and Tesla's experiment had cost the life of one of her comrades and nearly her own. She was not amused. Physical pain, no. But I've been taking lessons in excoriation from the best in the business. Vicky nodded at Xavier. Believe me, their ectoplasmic hides have been scorched, and they know the next time they play around without vetting it with you, Bella, or both first will be the last time they get to do anything but float around in the equivalent of solitary confinement for as long as we care to keep them isolated. Will that do? For now. I will not promise that they will not be in have wires flayed, or whatever they find unpleasant. Natalia snubbed out the cigarette butt, and Georgie was ready with a fresh one, with Murdoch providing the fire. He or his woman could send us all to hell right now without a thought, and here he is lighting my cigarettes for me. Life is full of the strange and wonderful, truly. We know where they are, da? I have complete control over their environment, yes, and complete control over whether or not they get to interact with the real world. I intend to link that control to you, Bella, and a couple other people, in case something happens to me. The storm simmering in Vicky's eyes convinced the Commissar that she was just as enraged about this as Savior was. There will be no repeat of this incident. Nicola, could she cut us off? Marconi asked his oldest friend, alarm spreading across his ghostly features. Would she? Tesla could not chew his lower lip any more, but his simulacrum made the motions. She was very angry. It is just as well we pretended it was an accident. We meant well, but... But a comrade died, and there was a great deal of damage, Eight pointed out. You forget, who are virtually immortal now, how terrible a thing that is. And the Chug creature. I do not think you are aware how dear he is to all of the CCCP. Even Untermensch, who keeps replacing his hamster pets secretly with new ones when they die, due to their short lifespans. He was very badly hurt, something which they have never before witnessed, and it is only thanks to a great deal of good luck and the intervention of exactly the right mix of talents that he is repaired and recovering. You should count yourselves lucky that Vicky decided to take your tale at face value. You will not betray us, Marconi asked, alarmed that the artificial intelligence was so completely aware of what he and Tesla had been up to, with the best intentions, of course. They had only wanted to lure one of the Death Spears here so that they could tag it and give Victrix the verification she desperately wanted. How could they have known that an entirely new and terrifyingly invulnerable creature would have come instead? Provided you promise me that you will do nothing like that again, unless you confer with me and Vicky first, the AI replied. I think perhaps we should leave the espionage attempts to others altogether from now on, Marconi said after a moment. Tesla nodded. I agree. We seem to have no talent for them. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. 
Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.